Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas and Caballeros. Mr. Gabriel Montoya. Now, if I sound a little off, it's because uh, I can't seem to get my computer up to get <laughs> things going here on the show, man. You know, need some computer Viagra, it would seem. Something. I need something, dude, over here, you know. But, um, you know, we had some great uh, – this past week we had some good fights, some really good fights. And this weekend we definitely have some really good fights. You know, Jorge Linares, who's the bigger guy, the much rangier guy, but very questionable. Every fight that he steps in, every fight he gets, in, every fight he gets involved in, let me just rephrase that, every fight he gets involved in, there is that possibility, Gabriel, that he may get clipped and knocked out. But Lomachenko's not known to be a knockout artist. He's known to make guys say no mas. So, let me ask you this. Does this fight make it more intriguing? There's a strong possibility you have the two best boxers in the world that may not create a knockout reel, but more of a domination, dominating fight between the two. Yeah, I've always looked at it, you know, like the classic. It's going to be more of a chess match. Um, Loma is moving up in weight. Uh, to 135, which is probably his ceiling, although they're looking at a catch weight of 140, or Bob Arum is talking about that, uh, possibly, uh, you know, in 2019, like the winter uh, between him and Pacquiao, if he gets past Linares. Um, Linares seems very comfortable at at this weight. Um, He does tire a little bit late. He's not a spring chicken. He's 32, though, so he's not particularly old either, but he's got those three knockout losses. Uh One, Carlos Salgado, uh, Run his bell first, um, and then uh, you know that was back in 2009. And then he had the back-to-back KO losses to you know well Antonio Demarco was a TKO loss. He came on late uh, to stop Linares, uh, who was also badly cut in that fight. Uh, and then Sergio Thompson, uh, you know uh, this is with back-to-back you know September uh, or I'm sorry uh, October of uh, 2011 for the Demarco fight. And then March 31st, my birthday, uh, Sergio Thompson knocked out Linares in two rounds. Um, and he had a cut eyelid, right? Uh, I think it was a TKO. Uh, he was down in the right. second, and yeah. a really bad uh, cut left eyelid. Um, and so, yeah, he heads into this fight. You're like, are you questioning the chin? He can, you know, an explosive uh, fighter, such as the Lomachenko, uh, might be able to catch him from an angle, walk him into something, uh, you know, d- turn him one way and then leap forward and, and hit him with a with a hook or, or you know, a, a rear uh, cross. It's possible, but more than likely, it's like the, the height uh, disadvantage that Loma enjoys might make for a headbutt or two, which could be a, an advantage against a guy that cuts easy like Lenatis. Uh I, I think this is a really exciting fight, man. Uh, Lenatis is that guy that is always on a tightrope because of that chin, because of the propensity for cuts, but he's got you know beautiful technique. Uh, what he doesn't have is that elite, elite win. You know, Anthony Krola might be you know his his best you know uh, wins. 
Um, I, you know, I could be, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what we haven't seen him do is take on like a sort of really upper echelon guy and, and you know, either win competitively or, or dominate him. Uh, and so this fight offer, uh, offers that opportunity for him to kind of make those blemishes go away in a sense by taking out the guy that everybody considers the best fighter in the world, or many people, uh, to sound like Trump. Uh, many people are saying that Vassal might be pound for pound, number one. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree, but uh, for Linares to beat him, it, it would be a significant uh, significant win. You know, it, it would be. You know, the, the thing about Linares is that we've heard about the, ur- you know, like the urban wars that he's had in the past. You know, um, Lurio... Uh, he was, you know, he was training up in Japan. I mean, this is this guy's been geared up to be one of the best pound for pound. If you watch him on his on his best nights, the guy looks phenomenal. When you look at Lomachenko, the one of the best or the best amateur background as of right now in boxing, there's no question about it. But the argument is this. Which one is better? And at what time do you figure is the guy who is the best right now in the world? Because there's the argument about who's pound for pound. And that's something right now that we both, you know, we're not, we're not fans of the pound for pound stat. That's just not something that we like to push around. But you have fight fans that do like to push that around, like to push the fact that Lomachenko has made some of the best fighters who supposedly supposed to give him fit quit in their stool. Rigandale is one of the latest guys, but there's a guy that moved up in weight. He made him, though, quit. But nobody wants to face the fact that Rigandale frustrated Lomachenko. Can he make, well, can Lonaris make Lomachenko, Lomachenko again kind of be flustered in the rounds and make him make mistakes where Rigandale couldn't capitalize? I think that's what makes it really intriguing. That's why, to me, this is a far more, some people are telling us, well, some people have told me, Gable, that he may not be dominant, but he's going to look good. So I really don't know how to digest that. I mean, what does that mean? That, that Lenatus is going to look not dominant, but good? Lomachenko. Lomachenko. Well, I, I, I agree with you that, that you know, granted, he, he made Rigo stop, uh, halfway through, but I, I also think it was it was uh, several things that 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 made Rigo stop. The fact that the ref wasn't calling the fight evenly uh, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, I think that frustrated him. And just kind of looking at the whole thing, moving up in weight, uh, just things not going his way, the guy ends up quitting. Uh, maybe you know his hand was hurt. I don't know, but it seemed like more of a, a no moss to the whole thing kind of situation. Uh, but there were moments, it seemed like Loma couldn't get untracked. He couldn't quite get his rhythm going uh, throughout. He had his, his moments, but there was also the, the moments where he kind of resorted to roughhouse tactics, which I think, you know, he's kind of a chippy fighter like that, but also was a little bit of frustration. You could see it. in um, here, you know, when he's facing a taller guy, 5'8", um, to uh, Loma's 5'7", you know, but when you see the picture of them together, it looks a little bit, little bit more than that um and the guy uses a classical upright stance lenatas he uses the jab uh throughout the fight doesn't really forget to do it has uh, great wheels he's able to, to to move around the ring uh and keep you know his positioning keep his range really well he's gonna have to make 
Loma pay for coming in and, and you know, Loma's got his own rhythm. He's, he's like a Joe Calzaghe. He's a true original trained by, you know, kind of an original trainer. Um, and so the, the result is, is something that you can't quite train for and you can't quite predict uh, how it's going to no, be even can't. just round around. Uh, but I think in those cases, you know, and I'm not saying he's that guy, but when you look at like the unorthodox fighters like uh, Prince Nassim Hamed versus Marco Antonio Barreras, it's kind of the blueprint of it. A classic style that's simple, not greedy, just trying to win rounds uh, can dominate, especially when they've got size on, you know, uh, on their side. And so Linares, he's got a, you know, uh, pitch from high on, you know, uh, high on, uh, you know, come, come with the jab from on high, stay with it, uh, move it up and down, get to that body, but not be greedy. Not if it, if it's good to him, just, just keep winning rounds. Don't go too crazy. Uh, and I think he could win. I don't think he will, but, uh, you know, because I think everything's leaning towards uh, Lomachenko in terms of the judges. Everybody wants him to win. There's more money in him winning, it would seem. Or maybe there's more money in a great fight and we get a rematch. But, you know, I, I don't think anybody's really thinking about the, this fight that way. So uh, I, I think Linares is going to have to do a lot to, to, to win a decision. But, uh, you know, to, to win the boxing match, I think what he needs to do is just, you know, stick to the basics, which he, he has excellent you know, fundamentals. You know, here's the thing. There's some great points that you just made right now about Lomachenko. Joe Calzaghe was very orthodox because he was trained very orthodox. Um, I just can't remember how early in his career did he become so cocky the way Lomachenko has been. I mean, Lomo does recognize that Linares is by far one of the biggest and hardest tests that he's going to come up against. But at the same time, I get the sense that Lomo's looking at it like, hey, another day in the office, I should pass the test. Where Joe Calzaghe was fighting for recognition. There was no praise about the kid. Joe had a fight for the praise. And when he got the praise, it was almost at the tail end of his career. Could I be wrong? Hmm. Yeah, no, I, well, I think the U.K. liked him, but uh, over here it took us a while to accept him as real. And even when he beat Jeff Lacey, it was like, you know, oh, well, Jeff Lacey's not that good. It's not that Calzaghe's that great. Um, you know, and that's how things kind of got spun. But, you know, I, I, Loma's just, you know, he, he's got a, a natural, I mean, that's just part of his deal, you know, is that ego, is that bravado. Uh, the way, you know, when he hit, I think it was Jason Velez in the stomach and then like bent over like, oh, uh, like I, I thought it was a total dick move. I, I'm, I'm kind of for good sportsmanship, but uh, you know, it's also putting on a show, and it's you know psychological warfare. I, I wonder if he's going to be able to do that with Lenatus. You know, uh, is he going to be that that aggressive guy that uh, you know all of a sudden has the fight just so in hand that he can taunt his opponent? I, I tend to think not here. You know, um, but we'll see. You know, I, I uh, it's, it's a tough fight to pick, really. You know. It is, and it's one of those fights, man, where you sit there and you got to rethink it. Leonardo is a straight puncher. He's a mover. He's not going to make the mistakes. Riendal, if you look back, and it got a lot of, you know, um, Gmail here. Um, how do you make the comparisons? How do you how do you look at his, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lomachenko's previous fights? Well, you look at the oppositions. Leonardo actually is more of a standout when it comes to a taller has a better fine ranger in his punches and a mover. The guy boxed. He can box. Rickendale was a little old in the legs, 
a smaller guy moving up in weight, and he did give no matter what. I know the Lomachenko fans are going to, you know, they're going to say, oh, you, didn't, you guys weren't watching the fight correctly. Trust me, I've heard it all. There's no doubt that Rigondeaux was old, much older, and a much smaller guy. That when his punch, his money punch has been that left over the over the you know over the top, uh, was able to make guys humble. He couldn't do that with Lomachenko. Loma took it, was able to smother him. They both smothered themselves. They both seemed to frustrate each other, but one guy cracked, and that was Lomachenko. That was rigging down. It is interesting too, looking at the fight. You know, like Loma. It's a young career, you know, an accomplished career, you know, uh, 10, you know, 10 wins, one loss, eight knockouts, uh, multiple belts. He's, he's, uh, everybody just looks at him and says he's the perfect fighter right now. Um, you know, and that's, that thing is always kind of just in flux, but, but here, you know, his last fight, he had a guy moving up, uh, a couple of weight classes from 122 to 130, uh, at an advanced age, uh, and, you know, so that it's like to me, it was like a name fight. It wasn't really a, a fight fight. Um, and now he's facing a guy that you know has been on a long winning streak, but has been stopped three times. Is known for being shaky. You know, it's it's. I think the fight is kind of stylist delight. But I can see where Lomachenko is, is confident of the win coming into this, and and not looking at well, maybe this is going to be so good that there's needs for a needs to be a rematch the way Triple G and Canelo talked about each other. Uh, for him, this is a stop on the way to the big money fight, which is Pacquiao. Somebody's hoping to get the torch, you know, pass to them. Uh, you know, but it's going to be Crawford. It's going to be Lomachenko. Uh, he's hoping it's him, you know, and that's, I think that's the mindset, but it's probably because, you know, at, at 10 fights in, it's such a strange career, but it, it, you know, at 20 fights, you might be getting a guy like Lenatus and here he is getting him at 10 fights, but it's still that fight. It's still the, the, uh, a champion that has vulnerabilities and has been stopped before test. Yeah, I'm on the fence. Maybe when we get our, uh, maybe when we get Ernie on the line, which is about another 15 minutes uh, when he comes on at 6:30. Uh, I want to hear his take. I, I, you know, we I, I put out a poll on leaving the ring, and honestly, the the majority of fans are going with uh, with uh, Lomachenko, um, and then. The fans that I'm I'm listening to or I'm communicating with, they're they're all going. I, I got to go with Lenaris. I, I like I like his style. I like the fact that he's going to be a guy um, that may be the most pure puncher that Lomachenko's going to face. And I, I agree. I, I I kind of feel that more. You know. I think he he certainly represents the most difficult puzzle, but uh, but in terms of uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know the, the most dangerous puncher, I don't know if I think about Lenatus that way. He's got 27 knockouts, 44 wins against those three losses, no draws. Uh, but you know he's a distance fighter. You know um, his last KO was against Ivan uh, Gano. You know in 2015. Uh, since then, you know, back-to-back uh, decision wins, 12-round decision wins over Anthony Krola, uh, then a split decision win over Luke Campbell, uh, you know, and then he goes the distance with Mercito Hesta. Um, right. So I, I, you know, I mean, and uh, granted, those guys are all natural to the weight, 
but again, I, I don't think one. We'll, we'll find out if 135 is too much of a reach. The way 140 looks like too much of a reach for Mikey Garcia. You know, we'll see. But uh, yeah, we're definitely yeah, going to see that. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe in that I sense, he is the biggest puncher. Let Let's recap what we said about last week between uh, Gennady Golovkin and Bonds Matarosian. So let's go back. Let's just recap that really quick. Vonis is pretty much the same guy. He bounces in and out. He's got a few punches. Uh, he throws a, a real interesting overhand right uh, that's kind of looping over the top that I think, you know, if Triple G can't find a left hook counter uh, before that thing lands, he might have some trouble. It might be a chopping right hand that Canelo was able to get in uh, throughout their fight. You know, that, that uh, you know it could be a problem. And with the mobility of, of, of Vonis... That's that's well. There's three things that I that it, that has to be answered on that night. One is does Bonas have the power to make Gennady Golovkin humble? Two is is he going to go to the body because he studied that going to Triple G's body slows him down a bit. Danny Jacobs was able to do it. Canelo was able yep. to, to land those shots early, and it does take out a little out of, out of Triple G. Triple G doesn't have a great defense. When you go to that body sometimes The third one is Is he going to be able to take the power of Triple G So those are three things that, I, that I'm looking at Because the three things I know for sure That Bonus is not going to do Is be the boxer And the other thing that I know that Bonus for sure is not going to do Is not show up for the fight We know Bonus is going to show up for the fight But you know he With Bonus you got to punch with him um, If you punch harder than him You can make him kind of back off There was a lot of truth that we were talking about last week here, Gabriel. You know, one was, out of the three things I just mentioned from last week's show, the three things that we needed answered, uh, Vonis, you know, he proved it. The only one that wasn't proven was the body shots. But the first one was his power. Was he going to be able to make uh, Triple G humble? We saw that. It might have, it looked like it was going to happen in that first round. But then as soon as he decided to do exactly what you said that could defeat Matarosian, which is trade between the shots, we found out that Bonas couldn't take the power of Gennady Golovkin. So those things were answered automatically. I thought, too, that, you know, I thought the, the power question was answered real fast. I thought within the first 30 seconds. And granted, you know, I saw the fight, like, late, uh, way later than, than everyone else. I saw it, like, today. Uh, and, you know, I watched clips. I saw the knockout. Uh, but, like, I sat and kind of watched the thing a few times today and just did the, the deep analysis of two minutes of, of not much of a fight. And I, I thought 30 seconds in or so, uh, Vonis was like, whoa. You know, you could tell that he, he felt that jab, felt the power of Triple G and was backing off already. Um, I thought, you know, since I had watched his last three fights uh, in prep for, to, you know, to, to talk about the, the Triple G fight, um, there was no snap to Vonis. He didn't have his legs underneath him. He was kind of stalking a little bit more. And, you know, you really think about it, uh, the way he was talking about stepping to Triple G and, and, and engaging him, that was the talk of a man that knew he couldn't go 12 rounds. And he was fighting that way. Uh, he was a little more Absolutely. flat-footed. Uh, doesn't bounce around at all the way Vonis is 
you know, almost too too much sometimes. There was just none of that, and and uh, I don't know. I, mean, if, I, I don't know if it was if, if it was a man that was saying I can't go twelve rounds, or was it a man that's always in the gym? You know, we mentioned on last week's show that he may have the uh, sparring man syndrome, but I saw reaction of a guy that looked at it. Hey, he's trading with me. A lot of times, Bonas has been with guys that won't trade, that want to move away from him, and that kind of causes him to kind of like overthink his position. We've talked about that. Yes. He overthinks what he's going to do. Here at one, for the first time in his career right now, however long it's been, uh, we had a guy that was willing to trade with him. And a guy happened to be the one of the best 160-pound fighters and you know, in front of him in his career at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, and, and Vonis, you know, I've watched. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a gym war, but uh, you know, we've talked about it. The, I watched him spar uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, and it was supposed to be like right. Chavez's media day, and Vonis was like all over him like a cheap suit. Um, he's a good inside fighter. Like he he doesn't mind trading. Um, kind of likes it. And but here it was it was just clear the power differential. Um, the ability to all of a sudden just kind of get on his bike and move and stick, uh, that just didn't seem to be there. He just didn't look good to me, to be honest. He didn't know uh, what to do. As soon as that notice. second round came yeah. in, yeah, as soon as that second round, that bell rang, and, 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 and Triple G knew that, you know what, I'm going to have to trade. Because, you know, I think what Triple G understood was like, hey, this kid came to win. He didn't come to survive and get a paycheck. Uh, you know, Glendale boy decided to show up and throw some punches because, you know, the one thing that we've seen uh, with the career of Triple G more and more is that he's more receptible getting hit. He gets touched more and more. But there's no question, even at 35-36, Gennetti knows how to turn it on, and he turned it on in that second round. Yeah, it was. I mean, he's kind of like a, you know, a little bit like a Trinidad, like the, a slow starter, you know, and and particularly as he's getting older, um, and and you know, he, we watch him in the amateurs, and he bounced around quite a bit. He doesn't do that so much anymore. But when he wants to step it into another gear, you know, it was like he wanted to see. Okay, let's see what else Vonis can do. He landed. You know, Vonis landed a good left hook at the end of the first round. It seemed to back up Triple G. Uh, it landed like a three-punch combination. Not all of it was flush, but the last punch seemed to be. I didn't think he hurt Triple G the way Roy Jones did. I think, you know, just no. anytime Triple no. G gets hit and moves away, it's like, oh, you know, HBO just, uh, everybody goes insane. Um, it was just a good shot. Uh, but we saw, like, Triple it G was, just it r- was right more, out the gate. It was, more, it was more a motorcyclist driving around in the freeway without his helmet and bugs were slapping into his face where he finally said, you know, I'm going to put my helmet on. That's what it looked like to me. <laughs> yeah, he know? put the visor down. It was like, <laughs> he right, put the visor you know? down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we saw what happened. We saw the result of putting the visor down. He crushed, he crushed the insect that was coming at him and stuff. That's what I saw. You know, um, the numbers were great. HBO, originally weren't enticed by it. They were saying, hey, you know what, we're going to move on. We're going to go somewhere else. But then when they saw other networks like ESPN were thinking of picking up the, you know, the Triple G episode, right, uh, they decided, hey, we're going to get back into the money. We're going to get back into the mix of this, you know. <laughs> the Triple uh, G some, episode. Right. Some folks were saying, you know what, it, the date didn't matter. I'm sorry, man. We got a built-in fan base in Cinco de Mayo. 
There is a built, you know, fan base. Tom Lawford understood this. This why this is the reason why he does what he does. This is the reason why he's a manager. He's a promoter because he understands the economics of of how the boxing fan thinks. He kept his guy on that date. They didn't want to budge. Two reasons. We had one guy that was ready to go. Why prolong it? The guy's been in training camp. We, he was training for the second best middleweight at right now in uh, uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez. And I said this before. You don't move the guy's da- date, especially when he's hungry and he's ready to go because they could screw him up and then you can have an upset in the long run. The way Tito Trinidad, it happened you know, with him with uh, Bernard Hopkins. They kept true to it. The other reason is, too, because, you know, here's the thing. is I'm a blue-collar guy. And I know a lot of media and a lot of, you know, these Twitter people that are just all they do is they make memes and they, they want to be on Twitter and, and everything is about Gennady Golovkin. Uh, go on and talk to the people, folks. The people don't lie. The majority of people that I went out and I spoke to, they all asked me, hey, there's a fight still happening on Cinco de Mayo. It wasn't – what it, the, the conversation didn't start, Gabriel, was, hey, um, is Triple G fighting? The conversation was – there's a fight still happening happening on Seeking the Mountain. I'm like, yes, it's still happening. Gennady Golovkin, oh, who is he going to fight? And I would explain. It's just like any time, even before Triple G. We're talking about well, like De La Hoya. You know, there was always that one aunt, that one relative that wasn't a real fight fan. But Cinco de Mile weekend, they would ask you, isn't there a fight happening? Turn on the TV. It's a built-in fan base. If it wasn't, Tom Lawford and his team would have said, screw May 5th, let's push it. We can fight Monterosian in any day, in any time. Another guy in the lot told me just this past week, he told me this. Triple G is a star, but he's not a Mexican star. Julio Cesar Chavez was a star. That guy could do sparring in L.A., in Bell, California, the Azteca gym. And there was people that used to close up the blocks. They had roadblocks with police because the guy showed up just to do jump rope. That's a Mexican star. That's the difference. We have television stars, and then we got real boxing stars. I hate to break it to folks, and I know a lot of folks are going to come after me on Twitter, and they're going to get upset, and they're going to be mad about it. But, hey, I'm not the one that makes up the rules. This is just the way things are. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree. You know that that the date is important. I mean, I think Tom Loeffler and Triple G both insisted from the very get that they were going to stay on May fifth. That it was important to them to stay on May fifth. It was an important Mexican hol- or you know important holiday for or important Boxing Day for Mexican fans rather. And uh, and and they you know they understood that they wanted to take on that mantle. Uh, and, and, and it was a brilliant move. Why move it? I mean, I mean, really, honestly. Why move it? You're, you've already look. It's established. You don't have to put much more money into it. Fans already knew that Gennady Golovkin was going to face uh, uh, Canelo, and that was that. You know, burned up to flames, but the name was still there. Regardless, you know, a hardcore boxing fan knows the name is still there. The casual fans know that the date, the date of Cinco de Mile, means there's going to be a fight that weekend. They're going to tune in. They may not be watching, they may not be watching it because they're making you no know, barbecue, they're putting calasada, they're putting pollo, they're putting, you know, uh, all the good stuff. But, the, but it's going to be on, you know. Anyways, um, you want to patch in, man? Our, 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 
the, the homie, the vato from Everlast, Ernesto Gabion? I do. Hang on one second. Here's the one thing that we wanted to do, fans. We wanted to do this thing where, it, honestly, it's just going to be three guys BSing about boxing. You know, no agenda behind it. Obviously, we never have an agenda here on Leaving the Ring. But just three guys from back of the days. It's called the Boxing Buzz because it's almost like we're going to be hanging out. Some of you guys are not going to get some of the jokes that we're going to throw at each other. Um, we're going to throw a lot of F-bombs probably here on Leaving the Ring. So if you have small children, please send them to the next room. <laughs> but if you've been watching the president, um, then there's no reason to. You know, there's going to be a lot of disaster on this segment here on the boxing buzz on leaving the ring. Ernie, are you there, brother? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh yeah, I can hear you, sweetheart. Can you hear me? What's up? Man? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with me. Hey, what's up, Gabe? How's everything? Good, man. Good. Literally, you know. Go ahead. What? What are you going to say? Oh, just things are good. I was just answered. Good. That's, that's good to hear. It's, it's, it's been, it's been uh, how many years? Yeah, it's been some time, man. It's been some yeah. time. It, you know, it feels it feels odd to be on the other side. I remember back in in my hosting days. Um, I was going to mention that. I was going to mention that the host of the boxing lab. Um, uh huh. You know, from boxing scene. You were a, a media uh-huh. guy from boxing scene. Then you went from, uh-huh. you know, here on Leaving the Ring, you were doing the boxing. I mean, it's been some time. I mean, we, I mean, myself, I went off the air for about, oh God, I think like two years, man. So when I came back on, it, it took me a minute. It took me a minute to remind me that I was back on air and people were actually going to listen to what I was going to say. And then I was going to get a backlash, you know, where people were going to remind me that I'm an idiot. You know, you really don't much know much about <laughs> boxing, Dave. You don't know shit. Watch, watch. You're gonna get it too early. You don't. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Oh my god. Are you serious? You guys. You guys gonna talk boxing? <laughs> yeah, I've been. I've been technically in the sport since in what '99 when uh, I used to help admin the Max Boxing message boards uh, for Gary Randall, and it's, to this day I still get people who think that I don't know shit. So, I mean, I, at this point in my time, honestly, you know. Back in, in, in my prime, I, I think I'm quietly on the other side of prime. Um, I used to fight it all the time, debate it. That's what message boards were for. Uh, you know, then then something some idiot invented social media like Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And, right. and when now everybody's got a voice and everybody's got an opinion and their opinion's right and your opinion sucks. You know, it, it got to a point where I just, you know what, fuck you. I'll just block your ass. You know, you I, – I, I, I have a very quick trigger on on blocking people. Someone someone does <laughs> me, someone someone like, tries to, to to play it off like they're 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 showing me up. Ah, fuck you! Oh, you're gone. I I, I just I, I don't have the patience I once had. Um, I, I think that's from the years of being being the idiot because I, I know I've done my fair share of idiocy in this sport. Um, but I think now that I, I, like I said, I'm on the quiet, quietly on the other side of prime. Uh, I, I've kind of mellowed, and, and the the sharp edges are, are dulled and rounded to where, you know, I think uh, I think I'm the wise old sage now. You know, whereas when well, I was the young hungry guy, I think I've now become the wise old sage, and, and people come up to the mountaintop to get my information. Right, right. I think I think if anything, this is the what we're what we're doing now is called sharpening the saw. You know, yeah. we're kind of you know you know we're sharpening it up again. But let me ask you guys, let me ask you guys this, okay? Really quick, um, what fighter, what fighter 
made you feel with their fans that, you know what, I'm in my dad's stage, you know, where my, my uncles and my dad <laughs> used to go like, oh, that dude ain't shit, man, back in my days. What fighter made you guys feel? Oh, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that mumble rap that's out right now. You know, I, I, I look at my daughter and I'm like looking at her and I'm like, what the fuck are you listening to? You know, exactly. I used to listen to Ice Cube and, 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 and Easy and NWA and Dog and shit like that. And I'm thinking, that's rap. real rapping. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of like the same thing now. I think right now, honest and truly, I do think the Golovkin fans are, have now taken the mantle that the Manny fans used to take, the Floyd fans yeah. used to take. Well, well, no matter what, they, he, cannot, he cannot do anything wrong. And, and I'll say this. I give Tom Loeffler, you know, K2, now 360 promotion, and, and Golovkin credit. They built right. them up from, from – they built a Kazakhstan, uh, you know, a fighter up from zero, fighting in Panama against, like, the likes of Kasim Uma, to where now he's, he's, he's a U.S. star here. And, and, and you know, he, they, did, they played it smart. They, they played to an audience that was grasping for, for a, a person to fall, you know, to get behind in, in the Mexican audience. They, lo- they adore him, rightfully so. He's an action fighter. He's a great uh, – well, he's a really good for- fighter bordering on becoming an all-time great. It, 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 but with that come the fans who are just simply unreasonable with them. You know, no matter what, he can't do anything wrong. You know, you tell him, you know, hey, he needs to take this amount. He don't need to do anything. I was like, okay, well, then you know what? Cool. You know, you have he doesn't need Canelo. He doesn't need Canelo. Are you no. crazy? He needs Canelo? <laughs> Everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to know. You know, it, 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 those guys, you know, it, 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 you got to look for the, for fighters that, that bring out a fanaticism in, in fans, you know, and, and he fits the bill right now. Ryan Garcia makes me feel old. Oh, God. He's like the, he's like the first Instagram fighter. Like I know other fighters have used it. But it's as if he, you know, like he came from Instagram you're, somehow. And I, you're, you know, I don't exactly know the kid. Right. right? But you don't he, like he that Michael Jackson dance? You're not liking that <laughs> Michael Jackson dance before the fights? Is that what you're saying, Gabriel? You know? No, not all of thing, us, man. not all of us can do the moonwalk, bro. I feel you. That's why I envy him. <laughs> I never got it right. I still try and I still don't got it right. Joe's right, though. I mean, he, he really is one of the first social media star fighters that we've, we've, we've had. I mean, I know there's guys like Nico Valdez. There's, you know, the, the, I guess right now there's this kid on, on Instagram that's doing, like, mitts and dancing and shit, and I look at that stuff, and I'm like, and, and my first train of thought is, what the fuck? And then I realized right. that, that they're using platforms that, that we wish other fighters would use. You know, we wish you know there's... What? You know they're doing what what we wish guys right. like like now Dev, David Benavides doesn't have much of a social presence and and you wish that he was out there more you wish that he was making his, a name for himself more and all these guys are now taking all the attention away from social platforms it's and that, that old Ryan soul you you know yeah. what Ernie that old soul is gonna hurt him in terms of getting themselves out there because you know Ryan Garcia here's a guy that has. You know, I, I was I was I was talking a few. I think I even mentioned this, uh, this to you, Gabriel. I said he's got what Fernando Vargas has. 
Fernando was great at trash talking, but he already established himself as a force to be reckoned at the junior middleweight division. You imagine if Fernando Vargas had this platform, how much how much bigger he would have gotten across the board, you know? Um, but geez, Brian just imagine done... how big of a hater I would have been of Fernando <laughs> Vargas. <laughs> My God. Yeah, you, you would be far off. I mean, you know, it's, it's social media and social platforms polarize the hell out of Dan. I mean, and with Ryan Garcia, I, I, I wanted to finish this quick, quick thought. I mean, yeah, he's he, he's out there socially, but uh, unlike a lot of the social guys, he actually can fight. The kid's uber talented. It's you know, I do think mm-hmm. he needs to polish his skills. He's only nineteen. You know, I think right. maybe down the road they they add to the team to kind of enhance his skills, but. You know they. You know Golden Boy's got the rare case of of a guy who who's out there getting a million hits on social media, and can fucking fight, and is good looking, and is personable, and and bringing the you know bring, bringing the girls. He's bringing the girls yeah. back oh, to the arena, God. which Oscar used to do. Yeah, dude. Most definitely. I went to the fight. On, I went to the fight on Friday, and you can hear screeches. Some you know mostly girls, some guys, but mostly girls screeching for, for Ryan Garcia as soon as he walks out, and. and and yeah, you're right. We have not seen that type of buzz since Oscar. Yep. Hmm. Yep. You know, in terms of, let me ask you guys this. Let me ask you this really quick. And, you know, in every era, we have a very corny fighter, a fighter that we all cringe at. Where does Ryan Garcia stack up to in terms of like Victor Ortiz, Jorge <laughs> Paez? Jorge Paez, he came in with condoms in his hair. Uh, even with Oscar De La Hoya, but Oscar wasn't that like that. You know, Oscar was more like when he when he spoke to when he spoke in, in the you know in the aftermath or in the interview, he was so proper that you knew that he was struggling to be proper. That was according to a lot of fight fans. But Ryan, I mean, I I, I was following him for a minute. I think I mentioned this last week. I followed for like two weeks, and I was like, okay, I can't do this. I just can't do it. I can't follow the kid. <laughs> you know. I don't know. I, I don't think he's that phony. I think he's genuine. I think he's goofy. I think he admits he's goofy, and he's okay with it. And and for me, as a parent, you know, I, I want my kids to feel good in their own skin. And if they feel a little goofy, a little off, you know, my youngest girl, she goes to metal shows with me. And and, and if if her friends like look down upon her because of that. I tell them it's more on them than it's, it's than it's on you. And you like what you like, and if you can wear it proudly, then wear it proudly. And I think that's what Ryan Garcia. I mean, you know, he, as long as he understands that he is kind of a role model for for today's youth, and uses it to his advantage, uh, or or uses it to to bring a message, then then I, I be as goofy as you want, kid. I'm good with that. You know, I, I think. Where where it gets really sticky is is some of the hardcore fans are really just I mean they polarize themselves to not like Ryan Garcia no matter what and and it's sad and unfortunate that that it's come to things like that but you know I don't think he's playing to that audience as much as we think we are I mean as, yeah. as much as us the hardcore fan are talking about Ryan Garcia I don't really think he's he's, he's doing this for us you know I, I think what he does seven in the years world, yeah seven years makes a difference folks. Because seven yeah. years ago, Ernesto Gabion, who was a, a, a representative for uh, Brandon Rios, would have said a different tone. Seven years makes a difference. This is a dad talking now. 
It is, bro. It, it is, is, bro. I mean, seriously. I watch the kid and I go, because I watch my kids. My kids are that, like the same age as, as, as Ryan, you know. I'm a 19-year-old, 16-year-old boy. And uh, same thing. Like, uh, I think I think you were tweeting about J. Cole. My kid was listening. We were heading out to L.A. We are going to, uh, God, I hate to say this again. The Americans, America's Got Talent. And <laughs> all the way up there. <laughs> We're listening to this album, and I'm like, and he was like, oh, Dad, the most anticipated album. And I'm like, okay. I, I'm, I was hoping, like, you know, something like my generation, Tupac, you know, Biggie. I was falling asleep the whole way that, that my wife yeah. goes, can we change this music, please? Can we just change <laughs> this? It's just a different dynamic of, of music, you know? And, and I never thought at one time in my life that I was going to look at hip-hop and go, God change it i'd rather listen to jazz at this moment right now <laughs> wait gabe's a jazz fan though aren't you i he listen is. to a wide range I, I mainly these days listen to a lot of electronic uh music that's kind of my jam uh I, i've been a burning gabe, man like gabe is married, bro gabe, yeah. gabe likes what the wife likes that's what happened with gabriel no actually that this stuff is <laughs> stuff that uh my buddy james down in la that i did the freelance writing for introduced me to he's a dj uh, on the side, and uh, he owns like a like a water company now. But uh, and then my buddy Mark, he kind of got me into it, and uh, yeah, and then like yeah, it just kind of fits with like uh, I go to Burning Man or I go to the club like I don't know at least once a weekend. Uh, we just we like to go dancing like sometimes during the week, uh, and, and yeah, it's, I like soul music. That's like my core, you know, like '60s soul, James Brown's into the '70s. Give me all that funk, uh, but. Uh, there's not a lot of that out here. There's a, like there's a great one down at Echo Park, uh, but uh, but but up here it's like they play like more like that frat rock kind of you know Animal House. That's not soul. But I've had I've been running into that trap a couple times. You know, find a soul night and they're like this shit shake rattle and roll. Get the fuck out of here. You know. Um, but yeah, no. I've kind of yeah. I don't know. We never really played music hanging out or anything. It was more like watching people beat each other up. Uh, let me ask you this. <laughs> um, Adidas is kind of throwing its hat in the ring, or, or did they always? Or is it Ryan Garcia was wearing Adidas gloves, wasn't he? And you've been around for a while, haven't you? I'm sorry. I are they? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Is that is that something new, or am I just noticing it for the first time? I think they 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 they've been out there. I know that they had. Um, people like Chris Algieri and Heather Hardy um, wearing their gloves um, for fights. But I, I think this year they really made a strong push into getting into, um, you know, more of a mainstream fight. You know, I know they recruited Ryan. Uh, I know they just recently recruited Abner Morris. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, it, it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, would reach out and say, hey, you know, this, you know, what's happening with this and that. And, you know, I tend not to talk about other brands. You know, it, 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 I sure. wish them all well. I got to worry more about what we can do to better improve, you know, our, our, you know, our stranglehold on, on the sport, you know, and, and, you know, in the end to me, you know, yeah, they're going to recruit a lot of guys. Yeah. They're going to, you know, yeah, they're going to go after guys that we have, you know, guys that rival has guys that, that grant has and so on and so forth. And, and in the end, you, you've got to be really proud of the product that you, you know, that you put out there and you represent. And, and um, I've been in this, this is now my 10th year with Everlast. And, and I, I think 
you know, I, I confidently believe that nobody does it quite the way I do. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, you got to take the emotion out of the sport. And I think the reason why I excel at this so much is that I don't take the emotion out of the sport. I do yeah, believe for these kids. You know, good luck I, I do. Yeah, I do genuinely care about these guys. The moment that they have a tough fight or the moment that they actually lose, you know, nine times out of ten, I'm one of the first five people to text them saying, hey, bro, I got you. Run it back, you know, and don't worry about it, you know. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those unfortunate things, you know, but it, it I'd rather care about these guys and, 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 and have a small circle of people that have small circle of fighters and promoters and managers that I truly believe in than, than be broad based and, and, and not give the same service that I, I feel accustomed to, you know, and, you know, and Ryan, we had worked with Ryan for a while, you know, it, it's just, one of those things where I'm sure, I'm sure the offer was too good, you know, to pass up. You know, I know he had a great relationship with us at the time. You know, he really loved our MX club. And, you know, but he found something comfortable, and, and he moved on, and, and we wish him well. I mean, I have no animosity towards Ryan at all. As you can tell, I, I'm, I'm still a big fan of his. It's just, you know, he's no longer in our club, and it's kind of a bummer, you know, because, you know, I, I know, you know, putting him – you know, for us, the idea that we had, we put the biggest boxing company against the biggest rising star in the sport and really leverage that. And I, I hope that Adidas sees the same thing. And I hope that they really champion what he's about. Because if they don't, then they're doing him a disservice. And, and you know, it, it, not all of the money and the equipment in the world is going to change that. That's, you know, guys, like kind of waves of people moving, you know, migrating from one company to another, I guess, is just, just part of the, the nature of the sport. I mean, just look at, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, Golden Boy becomes PBC. Now all those guys are like the money's kind of running out or whatever's going on over there. I, you know, I, uh, but, you know, you see uh, Danny Jacobs signed with, with Eddie Hearn. And and mm-hmm. now he announces this DAZN uh, uh, deal worth a billion dollars, you know, and, he's, yep. and his hit list is all PBC fighters, you know, the guys that he wants to sign yep. up. Errol Spence, the Charlottes, Wilder. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I, I kind of like that things are going a la carte, but you look at the menu and you're like, that's that's a serious night out with the lady, you know. Uh, that's yeah. uh, you drop a serious yeah, bills just to be a boxing fan. Yeah, I think the boxing business is, is you hit the, you know, the nail right on the head. The boxing business, you get a lot of, I, I think you tend to get a lot of people who come into the business bold with a lot of money, with a lot of cash, with, um, um, you know, and, and they throw it. They throw it out there, and, and they try to flex a little bit, and they, they try to muscle their way into something. And, and you know, initially they had success. I think PBC was a perfect example. We can use PBC as this. You know, they, initially they, they have a, you know, they, they're successful. They, they bring a lot of big names. They bring a lot of promise to have a lot of, you know, presence on TV. And initially they did. But once everything, once the dust settles, I've always said this, once the dust settles and, and, and you've you got a clearer picture, that's when the talent of, of the company that, that, threw, that did this, you know, such as PBC, comes to fruition. And you, you can see how clever matchmaking they are, how, how clever they are in, in bringing boxing product as a product to the masses. And, and PBC had some hits, but PBC's also had some failures. And, and I see, as you can see now, they've scaled back a lot of what they've done. You know, and they've focused on some really core guys, and they've kind of really, if you've noticed, they haven't really pushed a lot of the younger kids, you know, you know, to the forefront. You know, a perfect example right now. I know he's a Mayweather kid, but they, he also fights under the PPC banner. Is Javante right. Davis? 
and kid the right. beast and a monster. And and right now, any promoter that had him would be like literally making him one of the, the forefront fighters that you promote and push. And yet, you get very nary a rumble. He was the opening fight of a of a triple bill, you know. And and, and to me, that that's doing Gervonta an injustice, you know. And you got the Charlo brothers. The Charlo brothers have not headlined a single card. Why? They've not fought in Houston. Why? I mean, it. it, it I, I think sometimes you you kind of you, you kind of scratch your head at, at 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 whether or not the investment that they that they that PBC has put in is is paying off the dividends. And, and it's kind well, of you know, deals are set. I mean, huh? okay. here's the thing. I mean, here's the thing is that when it comes to business, sometimes deals are really set. You know, and, and like in other words, like uh, let's say you union deals. Um, we had this major problem here in Northern California at one time. Uh, let's say in 2007, to, between 2007 to 2010, California, Northern California made a deal with the state of California of picking up a lot of work for prisons that were being built down here. But mm-hmm. in part of that contract, it didn't stipulate that you solely only hired Northern California labor, you know, labor hands. They had to hire outside. They had to outsource. That could have happened with Al Heyman. Got a major deal, big money. Saw the big money and the potential that can go in his pocket, but didn't really look at the fine line of what what else you know uh, was going to entail about that contract, meaning that he was going to sell sell a lot of talent, but it had to be at a general area. He had to keep it at a certain area, and he couldn't expand it. That could have screwed him up. You know, I don't yeah, know exactly I, I, what's on his contract, but that could have messed him up in a lot of ways where it really kept a lot of these potential stars sitting at the ringside seat rather inside the ring. Yeah, I, I think they didn't – I think they didn't plan it quite as well as I thought they would. I, I think, think that – because a lot of the promoters that they used didn't really have a PR machine such as Golden Boy. Golden Boy's PR machine, it, right. it next, it, other than Top Rank, is probably second to none. I mean, they they've got, you know, so they're socially prevalent. They're they're they've got in-house video. They got a studio, much like what Top Rank does. I mean, those two, you know, they may not simply have the talent that PBC has right now because you know a lot of people you know did a mass exodus at the time, but they're starting to build their kids again, and and you're starting to see, you know, how their muscle flexes. You know, Golden Boy is now pushing, you know. Of course, Ryan Garcia, they're pushing Alexis Rocha with, you know, Virgil Ortiz, Chima Katniss Prospect. Jojo Diaz is on the cusp of a, of a title shot, and they're really, you know, marketing and pushing him. He not as fights on, on Saturday, and that's, you know, they've been really pushing and angling him. And you're starting to see what they can do, you know, what, what a, a promoter can really do when, when you have departments in place that really know what they're doing. And, and well, you, with you, Eddie, Exactly. You know, I think at any promoter, when you have – when you have a, a, a amount of money that you could play with annually, any business, you know, any business, when you have, you know, um, you're going to see them excel. When you have an over amount of budget, then you see people's taking like unnecessary risks that they shouldn't. And, and you know, e- you know, even when Golden Boy in the beginning, we were watching them, it was always a due process. It was always like a learning experience because they were kind of the child in the room trying to play with the big boys. Now you're seeing there's a reason why the budget helped them out a lot. And I like that. With Eddie Hearn, we see this $1 billion. 
I like it, but at the same time, how well, I mean, how, how much of an adjustment or, or in tune are they going to be with the fans or what the fans want and how, and how much are they going to um, budget themselves in bringing the best fights and getting the best fighters available to be under that banner? That, to me, is going to be seen because, if anything, there's a blueprint already for me, in my opinion, which is the PBC. Yep. Yep. So, like, I guess going back to the Eddie Hearn equation, I mean, he's throwing a lot of money at it. But someone kind of brought up the point that he's kind of stretched in as it is. And I get it that, you know, he's got now the, the money to to get U.S. talent, and he's, he's, he's targeting a lot of guys and, and this and that. You know, but I wonder if, it's too, you know, if he's been off more than he can shoot right now. It, it's one of those things where it's just you have to wait and see. You know, I'm, I'm a right. little – I'm excited, but I'm also apprehensive about it because we've seen it before where someone threw a lot of money at something. It was exciting at first, but now it's settled into basically everybody else. The only way it works is if he works with everybody and doesn't try to just yeah. dominate like Al Heyman did and like, look, I'm going to use these kind of you know, event promoters you know, and, and really be running it myself from behind the scenes. But Eddie kind of opens things up to everybody and says, you know, we've got all these shows, but let's make some great fights. I don't think he has enough fighters to make that many. He's got 16 in the U.S., 16 in the U.K. with like a what $109 million budget every year. Uh, you know, I mean, that's it's more than HBO and Showtime combined, apparently, but according to Eddie. But, uh, One billion, though. One billion. Let me ask you this. Uh, I think we have Roberto Diaz on the line. Roberto. One billion. If they're willing to play ball with you guys, are you guys willing to jump into that pool? Look, at the end of the day, it's not your money. You're not going to take care of it. When it's yep. your money, you're going to take care of it. It's our money. When we when we do at Golden Boy, it's our money. We're promoters. We work. We make our money. We pay our bills off what we do. So at the end of the day, we're going to protect it. We're not going to overpay. We're going to pay what it's worth. And when it's not your money. Maybe you overpaid to try to get what you don't have now, but how long will it last? We've already seen that blueprint, and it didn't work. When it's not your money, you don't take care of it. Hey, Roberto. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, hey, um, I'm just curious. How much did the PBC, if at all, distort the marketplace You know, in terms of how much they were paying fighters? How much they continue well, to pay? I mean, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how it affected me for a while as a, as, as a, another promoter, as a matchmaker, um, opponents for an next fight. Just, just, just a regular fight, not not world title fights, not anything special, which would fight for five thousand. That same opponent, when I called them after, oh no, we're getting paid fifteen and twenty. So he drove up the market. Of course he did, and that's that's made it tough. I know what? which fighter you're if talking you're... about, Robert. No, it was a lot. It wasn't one or two. It was a lot. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, it was like you kept running into it. And he said, okay, either we pay this opponent what he's really not worth or we go find somebody else. And that's what we did. And sooner or later, they couldn't pay that same opponent anymore, the fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for an eight-round fight because the money's started running out. Yep. Hey. Robert, it's Ernie. I got a question for you. Yes. When when, when the, the exodus of fighters happened, uh, did it did it kind of 
excites you and, and, and the Golden Boy, you know, departments more because now you could go back to being a, a true promoter. You can work on the fighters that, because, I mean, granted, they took a lot of big names out of you, but, but it also gave you guys a, a, a kind of a, a, a creative jumpstart in that now, now you're going to see how Golden Boy builds the guys. Now you're going to see how, how we can start creating our own stars and we don't have to, to, to necessarily acquiesce to, to other people's outside influences. And you're going to see, that's, you're going to see that's now. That's a great question. That's a great question. And let me, let me, when I started at Golden Boy, the knock on Golden Boy, which, which was a young company, hadn't been around too many years, is they remember when Golden Boy really started, all of a sudden they had Barrera, they had Mosley, they had Hopkins. They had made fighters. But the knockout golden boy was they do not know how to build fighters. They know how to get fighters that are already made. So right. so all of a sudden, that company, which was new, it was young. You cannot be a young company and build fighters in three years because it takes five years to build a young fighter from zero to a world title. So at three, four years, of course you don't have a world title fighter from zero. But Barrera came. He was the first big name fighter. With that came Hopkins. With that came Mosley. With that came Marquez. With you know all the big names, they were already established fighters. But in the meantime, let's not forget that Broner came to us with two, three fights. Deontay Wilder came to us as a pro debut. Jamal Charlo came to us as a pro debut. Danny Garcia came to us as a pro debut. Danny Jacobs, I, if I believe, if I'm correctly came to us with two or three fights we built all those fighters Leo Santa Cruz came to us after top rank and TKO cut him Abner Mares came to us as a pro debut so once Golden Boy had that six seven eight years as a company and all the champions started developing we had more champions than anybody else now when the split happened and the champions left couldn't knock us anymore that you don't know how to build a champion. So to me, it was refreshing. Ernie, I've told you many times, I was like, wow, man, I, I can breathe again because now I can make the fights that I want to make and build the fighters that I want to build. And they're going to fight. I've never been one to want to build a record. I don't care about records. That zero looks pretty. It doesn't mean anything if you haven't fought anybody. To me, the building of a champion may have two or three losses. That's more important. I, me- I mentioned it today. Linares today with three losses is I would face him any time against Linares who was undefeated, and he would beat him. How, how do you see that fight playing out? I mean, do you see this more of a distance fight than him and, and, and Loma? Absolutely. It's a 12-round fight. Who wins? I don't know. We're going to see Saturday. It It is a very tough, tough fight, okay? But it's just like- as tough for, for Lomachenko. It's going to be just as tough. People are saying this is the most difficult fight Inaris has ever had. I agree. But it's also the most difficult fight Lomachenko's ever had. You know, there's there's a lot of media and even people, though, they're saying that this is going to be like they're expecting a tough fight, but for Lomachenko to be dominant. Uh, how do you how do we put that in the same sentence? I don't. I'm not even understanding that. Do you understand that? Like they're they're like 
they're giving him his props and saying, yeah, it's going to be a tough fight because he's moving up. He's facing a taller Ranger guy, but he should be able to dominate Linares. Look, he's dominated everybody he's faced except Salido, who's not been special. I mean, Salido's take you know, tough Mexican fighter. My respect to him, but he's always been an opponent. He's never been anything that we've ever said, oh, he's pound for pound, and he beat him. So it doesn't take anything special to beat Lomachenko. He's had great matchmaking. He's a magnificent fighter. He does things that I haven't seen been done in boxing. But he's been beat. You know how to lose. And when you have a fighter that's been through hell, and I said it today at the press conference, he's been through hell. He he lost back-to-back. Um, there was a time at Golden Boy that Richard Schaefer came to me in my office and said, right. he leaves Jorge Linares, he's done. And I turned around and I said, no, he's not. The best is yet to come. And I stand by it. And look, look where he is today. And And it came late, but he matured late. And today, like I said, he's a better fighter today because he's tasted defeat. He didn't like it. He hit rock bottom. He didn't like it. And he knows now what it takes to be a winner. He's matured. So let's just make our difference. Pick right he's now, been guys. through hell. He's been right. through hell. I don't know if, if Lomachenko's been through hell. I don't think so. So let me, let me ask long... the guys right now. Let me ask the guys right now. Let's, let's make our pick here while we have Roberto on. You know, uh, uh, Ernie, what's your pick? Gabriel, what's your pick for, for this Saturday? Mm, I like Lomachenko. I think it's going to be way tougher than people think. I, I think um, Linares and, and Salido are similar in that they're the two fighters I, can, I think of that can make um, the perfect fighter, which is Lomachenko, fight him perfectly. You know, it, 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 with, with Salido, it was roughing him up. It was hitting him on the hip. It was, you know, using his elbow to get in. With, with Linares, though, I think he has the size, the speed, and, and, and the accuracy to kind of, you know, almost force Lomachenko into, a, you know, almost maybe a plan B or maybe even a plan C, you know, when things may not be yeah. going quite as well. Yeah. And he's he's going to be the first guy. guy that can move on him. He's going to be the first yeah, guy that a, can actually move away from him. Yeah, and, he's a, and, and Lomachenko's the type of guy that if things don't quite go his way, he gets bored or indifferent. I saw, I was there live for the, the Mariaga fight, and it wasn't his best performance, and you could see where he was just kind of, you know, almost like, like things weren't going his way, so he, he's kind of just like almost like a brat, kind of puffed and puffed, and, and, you know, granted, you know, he won, but it wasn't, it, 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 I think if you take him out of his element, you kind of force his hand a little bit. And, and I think it's going to be a better fight than than, I, than people think. I agree I with you, Ernie. Yeah. You, you know what? You know what? Talking about being a brat, if you go back with the Rigondeaux fight, even in that fight, yeah, he was very dominant, but he it, it almost seemed like what he wanted to really do with Rigo, he couldn't get it, you know, he couldn't get off. And he, he kind of reverted to being... You're yeah, right. He wasn't dominant with Rigo. I mean, Rigo quit. But he wasn't dominant. He wasn't, and he and he got frustrated, and he he kind of he kind of reverted to dirty tactics, you know. And I watched that. Regal was landing some good, you know, good left left overhands on him, and and he got frustrated. But I mean, he still was able to do what he, you know, be the dominant guy. But it wasn't the performance that I think that he was looking for. 
I think Lomachenko is going to have the flashier moments. That's kind of his jam. Uh, Linares has got to be steady to, to win the fight, really be you know, work the jab, stay with the fundamentals, kind of take the center of the ring. Um, like I said, it's kind of Barrera, Hamed, situation where you've got an unorthodox guy uh, and you've got a classic boxer um, or that's you know what Barrera was on that night but I think that the judges all the money is looking towards that Pacquiao fight uh, I mean you know Roberto you, you, you're part of this process or know about the process of picking the judges but uh, so maybe you can you can just tell me I'm, I'm dead wrong but I think the the, the judges are going to lean towards the flashier guy with that Pacquiao fight looming uh, and, and going to raise uh, Lomachenko's hand, uh, you know, but uh, it could be a debatable decision. You there, Robert? Dave? I'm, I'm waiting for Roberto to say something. Are you there? I'm here. What, what, what do you think? What do you think about that? What do you think about that? What Gabriel said right now about, I about love, the judges? I love the comparison Gabriel made with Hamed and Barrera because I was with Barrera over the weekend and Barrera and Linares are very tight. I brought Linares to his camp when he was 18 years old. Hmm. And and he made Barrera, he was one of Barrera's toughest and best partners. And today, precisely today, I sent a message where I connect all three of us. And I said, Barrera, you beat Ahmed. Roberto, you beat Cancer. On Saturday, Linares... You're beating Lomachenko. So it was a motivational chat that we had between us. Barrera is a big believer in Linares because he knows him very well. As far as the judges, look, you can only hope they're on their best day and they do the right thing. I never go into a fight anymore thinking we're going to get the decision. Because Murata in Japan, who won the fight, got a bad decision. So that, that's, that's the least of my worries. That's the least of my worries. If we go in there and we do what we have to do, and he doesn't get the decision, the world is more important to me than the three judges. As long as the world, the fans, the media, give him his props that he won, the three judges, hey, they, they're not always going to get it right. And 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 I'm I'm just hoping they do, and that's hoping for the best. But you mentioned one thing: they're going to go with the flashier fighter, absolutely, because they expect Lomachenko to be the flashier. That's something that Jorge knows. We've talked about. Take the rounds, win the rounds. Don't let him be first, and don't let him be last. Let me let me let me ask you this really quick. Let me ask you this really quick. While we have you on the line, Roberto, um, the fans right now throughout social media are pounding at the table, saying, "Triple G, forget forget Canelo. Go for BJ Saunders. Go for Marata from Japan. There's big money there." What do you do with that? What if they decide, what if Tom Laufer and Triple G say, you know what, we're going to follow what the fans are saying, and we're going to say we don't need Canelo. How do you cock block that and make them stay on the same path of facing your guy in September? You know what I tell the fans? Simple. Canelo, remember the videos? Remember all the shit they talked? Fuck them. They need Canelo more than than we need him. (laughs) <laughs> the fans, if the fans that want to fight, Canelo wants to fight. 
But at the same time, if they want to go left, then let's go right. Canelo has more options too. If they have Murata and they have Saunders, hey, we have Spike O'Sullivan. We have many other options. We have other ones. How about Murata? I mean, I mean, how about that fight? Let's say Triple G, they go for that. Would you guys be interested in going to Japan and facing him? I mean, that's a big money fight there for you guys too, right? I'm, I have a very a great relationship with Mr. Honda. In fact, that's the reason I signed Jorge Linares. But as far as going to Japan, I think Murata may, may come to Vegas. Why not Murata in Vegas? For, for Triple G to go to Japan, that's probably bigger than StubHub. Can you guys ever imagine Canelo fighting a StubHub? And I'm not talking it as, as a bad thing, but can you ever imagine him fighting a StubHub? I don't think so. I think he's passed and done that. Do you think the the TV ratings had, like Dave says, that you know the date had a lot to do with it? Uh, do you agree with that? Absolutely. They were waiting. That they were expecting to see Canelo against Golovkin, so they all tuned in. When that changed, maybe some of the fans didn't know the change, and they were already tuning in or already had plans. the The ratings were great, but look at the the, the attendance. The live attendance, was it great? If it would have been great, why didn't he fight at uh, MGM or T-Mobile? Why did he go to a much smaller venue? Right, right. And I wanted to ask this, too. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Uh, the other thing that fans on social media are pounding about is, uh, right. like, Eric Gomez did an interview uh, and said, it was on, I think, an unboxing scene, that, uh, you know, Canelo will do, you know, will do VADA testing, Um as he has done since what you know the Mosley fight in like 2012, with the exception of the Smith fight, we talked about that last time you were on. Um, but that the he would do testing after the fight contracts were signed. Um, do you, that strategy? You know, I just got to say it doesn't look. I'm not saying it looks like Canelo's cheating. I'm saying doing testing and getting back in the clean boxing program as soon as possible goes a long way to telling the fans it's a clean fighter. Uh, but. Do you do you agree with that? And also, uh, what, do you know the procedure of like you, you test positive and then are you ejected from the VADA program and you have to like reapply to be in it? Do you know the mechanics of that? I don't know the the exact the exact mechanics, but I mean, if you test positive, I don't see why they would reject you if you want to. I mean, that just shows that look, it's whatever happened happened and and it's behind me, but. At the end of the day, look, everybody makes their own decision. He is a clean fighter. I know it for a fact. I know because of all the other day, the levels were so low. But you're cutting in and out a little bit there. Sorry, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you. No, we can hear you. Go ahead. What were you saying? At At the end of the day, once he's the fight's signed and done, he begins the program. He's the one that's requested the program. You guys, we got to remember, when a fighter's not in fights, it's not like baseball, football, basketball. They have the time off, and during time off, they can eat, drink, smoke, do whatever they want. That's, that's allowed in other sports. In Boston, it's not. So in between fights where fighters – can eat the pizza, can eat the burritos, can eat and drink or do whatever they want, that's when they have that time. Now, as soon as the fight's done, whatever fight it is, 
whether it's Golovkin or whoever is next, he will enroll, he will start the program, he will begin camp. And again, he's done it in the past with the exception of Liam Smith, and we talked about why that didn't happen with UK testing and all, but he will be in the program at all times during any fight. But, Robert, you do understand the the stigma right now that's looming over him. I mean, the fans, they're they're saying this. This is what it is. They said, okay, you did the hair test, but the satisfaction is that immediately he gets back in testing. If he waits for that contract, the naysayers are still going to sit back and say, see, he's cheating because he doesn't want to follow through. Let me ask you this. If, If you're cheating, would you cheat? Many months before the fight, it's yes. not going to help you. Many months before the fight, no, it's, it's going to help you towards the fight. No, well, I mean, it depends like, on what okay. you're doing. Okay, um, exactly. He's not using a, a, a power enhancing. So he got positive for glenbuterol, which is supposed to be stamina. And you're cutting in and out, brother. Again, again. Yeah, okay. yeah. Now we can go for it. Go for it. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you don't get caught with Umbetterol during fight. Right. No, I, I, to me, the science lines up, you know, with the Clembuterol thing. But, I mean, we've had Victor Conte on this show since, like, 2010. Um, I've talked to a lot of other guys that have dealt with the dark arts. And to a person, Would they say... Hello? Yeah. Oh, you kind of what were you saying? Down. I'm sorry. I would. Love to sit down. <laughs> 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 I think. I... Is it me, Ernie? Is it just me? Is it something I said? It, no, I, no, I no. What happened? What happened? Yeah, you're cutting in and out. Like you're starting to talk, you're... and then it just cuts right out. I said I would love to sit down with Victor, so he can educate me, so he can. How? How? You know, this would enhance. Three months before. Well, I'm not talking about the clembuterol. I'm just saying, you know, like Lance Armstrong doped in the off season. He didn't dope. I mean, he, and he would dope during, you know, he would change his blood and do all kinds of stuff during competition. But the main doping happens in the off season for guys. And you can absolutely keep your gains. You know, uh, that's why, you know, most other, like, like the IOC, you know, uh, they test year round because guys dope year round. As Victor says, like, you got to get the fish when they're, when they're biting. And it's usually in the off season. Uh, but but keep in mind what what is everybody always criticizing Canelo? Stamina. Right. right. If he was doing this off season. He would have great stamina. That would never. Oh, he gets tired because he was. Of course not. He's not doping, and 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 never forget. Look, I'll tell you why they criticize for stamina. He struggles so much to make 154 or 155, as they say, mm-hmm. during the time he wanted to make it. As you guys know, when you cut so much weight, it shows in the later rounds. That's the stamina problem. If you guys remember in the Chavez fight, he stood 12 rounds. There was never a stamina problem because he didn't struggle to make weight. In the Golovkin fight, that was Chavez. That was the Chavez fight, his first fight at one over one fifty four. I thought that was an everlast. I thought that was an everlast uh, <laughs> uh, uh, hip bag, you know. <laughs> I would have never thought that was Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., man. <laughs> and, 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 and in the Golovkin fight, that was only his second fight ever fighting at one sixty. 
Right. I'm very confident if they do face themselves again, now being the 160 show, now fighting at a weight that he's very comfortable, now filling into that body, it takes two or three fights. That's why I like our chances this Saturday because Lomachenko, you can't just jump and wait. You can't. It, right. it, it, it hasn't happened in history. Let's go back in history. The big good man always beats the big little man. Loma beat Rigandau because he was the bigger guy. Mm, yeah. In the third, in the second fight, if it happens and when it happens, hopefully it does happen soon, I have no doubt Canelo knocks him out. Hmm. Well, hey, I want to see the fight. I have a question. I, I, I hope, have so. A question. I hope so. What's your question, uh, Ernie? Do, do you have, considering the, 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 the Nevada State Athletic Commission, they're the ones who put down the, the suspension for Canelo. He turns around and does the hair test, which, it, which would prove without a doubt whether the computer all that was chosen, that was the, found in his system was um, could be due to meat contamination. It, 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 it provided that. Is there any animosity towards the Nevada State Athletic Commission for not being as thorough as maybe they could have been in, in getting to a conclusion so maybe we could have had the May fight? No. No, you know what? It's done and over with. I mean, to, to say should have been, it could have been, it's done and over with. Hopefully it happens in September. And everything... That's supposed to would have was supposed to happen in May happens in September. So you you don't Vegas, there's no consideration of taking it to Dallas. I think Vegas it's where it started and Vegas where it should end. Hmm. Yeah. Dallas would be beautiful because look it, it's always said Dallas you get a hundred thousand people in it's great for the fans. At the end of the day, guys, it's it's business. Uh, you don't need the 100,000. I mean, as a fan, yes, the 100,000 is great. I love the big events. But as a fan, what is the fighters looking for? The biggest day, the biggest, if, if the biggest challenge it's the biggest, comes down to Vegas. I mean, Vegas is right. the event. Even though it's a smaller crowd, it's bigger prices. And the bigger casinos, it's the bigger event. There you go. And don't forget JoJo Thank you. I gotta promote. I gotta promote. Look, I'm very happy right now, guys. I got. I'm very happy because, you know, all the down Golden Boy, Golden Boy this, Golden Boy that. We're just trying to make the biggest fights, the best fights. And the proof is, in a week span, we have four world title fights on three different networks against four different promoters. Who else is doing that? Nobody. And, and, mean- and at the end of the day, if we end up zero and four. Oh, Golden Boy doesn't know what they're doing. Right. Provided the fans. All I gotta tell you, all I gotta say though, Roberto, for guys like us that are over our forties already, um, we don't want to mimic Ryan Garcia. So tell him to hold back a little bit with the Michael Jackson moves and everything, bro. Because <laughs> <laughs> <No? laughs> you can't anymore. If you did the, if you mimic Michael Jackson, the next day we can't wake up. We can't get up. I know, we, we're sore. Bro. I can't even work for a whole week. I'm out. I'm in exactly, the bed. I'm exactly. Exactly. Ryan, Ryan can do it. <laughs> well, there you 19 go, years old, and and he's gonna he's the sky's the limit. He, he's gonna get there. And and my job, 
is to take him there. Remember, Georgia was pro debut from day one, 26 and all. We were a week away from winning that world title, and I'm very confident he can do it. Well, I definitely can't wait to see that fight happen. Roberto, we're going to let you go, brother. Thank you very much, man, for calling in. Thanks, much guys. Thank you here. so much. Ernie, lots of love to you. Gabriel, everybody, thank you very much. Tune in Saturday night. Linares, the king. Bye, guys. All right, man. And there you go. A lot of info. That was a um, that was that was a surprise there. You know, Ernie's that definitely uh, definitely took the took the heat off of Ernie for a bit. I know. I thought <laughs> Ernie was like, "What? Like this guy just took my shine away? What's going on?" Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll, come back, I'll come back on any time you guys want me to. I have no problem with that. This is this has been yeah. fun. I know we yeah, didn't man. have a chance to really break that down about uh, uh about Lenard. I mean, you know, it was actually a a, a, a fight that I was going to talk about towards the end, but um, I think that was good information with 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 Robert when he came on, man. Definitely. Yep. You know, well, yeah, the information that we could get from his phone. Yeah, because his phone right. was muzzling <laughs> him up a little bit, man. <laughs> I always have the same problem with him, like because when you call him, it, chances are he's he's walking to somewhere trying to figure right. figure something out or fix something. You know, like I, he called me earlier in the morning. We we had a conversation about you know just squaring away you know gloves for this and that, and um, he goes, "Sorry, I just went into the elevator." And sure enough, he cuts off, and then he comes back, and he, he's in mid conversation sometimes when he's coming back. And I was like. You just kind of have to, to, to ascertain what was said before he came back on. And, and, and it's always fun to talk to Robert. He, actually, we talk a lot. We talk maybe, I don't know, every other week, at, you know, maybe sometimes weekly, just, just on stuff, just, you know, whatever, you know, you know, mostly boxing, sometimes other things, you know, just life in general. Uh, he's a dear friend. I, he's someone I consider a mentor. I, I have um, two mentors. Well, I have a few. I have, I have two mentors that, that uh, you know, help me in the boxing business side. Him and Sergio Diaz, Antonio Margarito's manager, you know, he gave me the opportunity to do a lot of the uh, sparring uh, for Tony uh, for his upcoming fights when, when you know, when I started play, uh, playing around with this sport. So those two guys, as far as the big business is concerned, um, you know, they've, they've been mentors to me. They've been dear friends to me. And so I'm forever indebted to Robert. You know, he, he gave me my – he actually – Robert gave me the Everlast job uh, opportunity um, uh, looking really? for guys like me a guy like me and they contacted Robert and Robert just got the matchmaking job at Golden Boy. And so he recommended me and it's been history ever since. Let me, let me ask you something. I'm going to bring the vibe down a little bit. Cause I know this is kind of close to, you know, this is kind of personal, what I'm going to talk yeah. to you about. Um, yeah. Diego Corrales, brother. Could you, could you oh, share man. some, share some uh, memories? Cause I know, I know you were really close to him. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, uh, the the day that he passed away, um, I came home from somewhere, and Gary Randall called. Mm-hmm. And um, he he called me, he goes, hey, bro, did you hear? I said, no, what's wrong? He goes, Diego. I said, what's wrong with Diego? And I figured he's in jail or something, you know, because he, he, he had a tormented life. I mean, there was a lot of right. genuine, he was one of the more genuine guys, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, he he wore whatever he was on his sleeve. 
And and I see, he goes, no, bro. I said, what? He goes, he's dead. No, I like fucking lost it. I just I, I lost it. I mean, it wasn't right. Um, he was someone that that befriended me. He's probably the first fighter friend I had. You know, I mean, anytime I'd go to to you know Goosen's gym, Joe's gym, because it wasn't ten. I mean, you know it is ten Goose gym, but it's always Joe's gym. You know, right? Going right. to Joe's gym and you'd see D there, and he, you know, he's he's wrapping up, and we'd shoot the shit, and you know, after the first fight, and he was prepping for the rematch. You know, I'd go visit him almost weekly, and um, you know, he was telling us the stories of the fight. You know, the first fight, how. He literally peed dark red, you know, for a week. Um, oh, you know how he he couldn't walk. Um, uh-huh. He obviously he couldn't have sex for a long time afterwards. Because he goes, one of the first things I look forward to is spending time with my wife, and I couldn't even fucking do that. And you know, it, right. it, just, it just sucked. And, and and so you got to share stories with him, and and you got to uh, get to know him and his wife Michelle at the time, and and their baby. Don, oh God, Danya, I think was that her name at the time. I, I, it, it bleeps me though. But I mean, my wife had met him. We we met up at the Rocky Wars Barrera fight at Staples Center. Um, you know, it, it it's some wonderful wonderful times. Mostly spent at, at at Joe's gym. You know, a lot of times, you know, sometimes you'd see him at Vegas and he'd hang out for a little bit. But you know, you know, he's one of those guys that that you gravitate towards him because he was real. And 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 sometimes that realness gets to you and, and, and unfortunately it got to him a little bit and you know he held on a little too long to, to his career and you know it, it to this day I, I've not seen since he passed I've not seen the first fight in its entirety I'll see bits and pieces I'll, oh, wow. I'll see a little thing I just can't see it I, I, I can't right. you know I was there, I was there for the rematch um, and, and and you know it was an electric atmosphere and everything but I probably won't ever watch it in its entirety. It, it just gets to me a little bit. And then the third I one. I had it. Yeah. And then the third one. <laughs> right. It's my first fight uh, as a reporter. Well, at least really? know, first, uh, first time covering a live fight. Yeah, it was that, that weigh-in. I arrived, and a buddy of mine picked me up at the airport, drove me to the press conference, and I arrived as the, the press conference was ending. And my, so my first interview was a walk-and-talk with – uh, uh, Gary Shaw, and then uh, uh, then Diego, and then Joe. Those are the first three like live interviews I did in boxing. Like all like oh, wow. you know Gary Gary Shaw as a walk and talk through the uh, the the room, you know out of the out of the ballroom, and then uh, Diego standing outside. Uh, it was an interview I printed like years later, like years after his death, um, and then uh, Joe kind of over like walking down the hallway, like uh, yeah. Like yeah, it was like my first. I was like like my first uh, event was a controversy the next day at the weigh-in when when he didn't make weight when Castillo failed to make weight. It was crazy. Were you yeah, still yeah. media then, Ernie? At that point, I'm sorry. Were you still media? You were just or purely media at that point, right? Or were you oh, with Everlast? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was still with Maxwell. I didn't get to Everlast until 2008. Huh. So yeah, I was still I was still media. Uh, so I think at that time I was still working solely for Max Boxing. So, you know, I was doing at the time I was, you know, behind Peter Palmieri and and one other wow. uh, and one other uh, videographer. So I was literally the third videographer at the wow. time. So I was getting <laughs> I was getting auxiliary section, 
I was getting media only rooms and, and, you know, but, you know, it's like with anything, you kind of work your way through. And, and I remember my first actual floor seat assignment was um, Barrera Marquez. And I was like flabbergasted. I was just sitting there going, oh my God, I'm literally this close to, to the action. You know, but yeah, I've, I've, I remember those, those fights uh, vividly. Um, you know, I started covering the sport, you know, right around that time as, as you as well. I mean, because even for the rematch, I didn't, uh, I wasn't covering, I went as a, as a fan. I had, you know, really great seats. Um, but um, yeah, Diego is uh, something else. You know? Let me ask you guys, let me ask you guys this. What, what fighter or promoter was the toughest to speak to or interview for you guys? Because uh, I can tell Ortiz. you mine, Victor Ortiz. Victor really? Ortiz. He's he's just he, he's goofy, you know. <laughs> it, 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 he's, he's he's. I mean, I I I Victor. I you know, I have no problems with Victor personally, but he's a fucking idiot. I mean, Jesus <laughs> Christ! You try to interview him, and, and I have. I've done okay, interview, so, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> real goofy. I, I, remember, I remember one time that we were doing this open workout at Maywood. And I uh-huh. interviewed him for about 45 seconds, and he just kept getting giving these, you know, childlike answers. You know, you just got to see, bro. Well, I can't tell you that, bro. I'm not going to know until I know. And I just went like, yep. this. all right, I'm done. Fuck this. And Monica looked at me. She was, she was doing PR at the time. She goes, what? I said, get this motherfucker to answer something, man. And she's like, gosh, you know how this is. And I said, well, then that's my interview with him. And that's it. And she goes, okay. So, <laughs> it's all for me, it's always been Victor Ortiz. It, it, you know, he's just he's too wacky for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Victor what Ortiz, was yours? too what, wacky what, for what me. Was your... Frankie Gomez. Frankie Gomez, Frankie Gomez was, he's great, dude. He's the, he's the, I think he's the king of, he's the, just the king of just nodding his head. When you ask him a question, just nod his head. <laughs> How's camp? Good. Hey, you know, did you spark? Yes. All right. So, so are we going to see a knockout on on Friday? Yes. All right, thanks, thanks. Thank you. You're not good. I'm not good. I would do no. interviews uh, as a favor to you know nothing against a guy you know we he was always polite and everything, um, but you know Monica like can you you know interview him and and like. You know, it's like like practice runs. I get them comfortable with it, you know, and I try. You know, I mean, you know, it's like flossing teeth, you know, it's and then pulling them. Uh, you know, it's yeah, just. It, well, it, shit, at least you guys part. lived in L.A. At least you guys lived. But, I mean, he got when he signed with Golden Boy, Monica Sears asked me to come down and interview him. Dude, I drove, what, six, seven hours to East L.A. You remember when they did that? When they had, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. And. and I was pulling teeth with the guy. I mean, I had to literally go off everything Oscar had announced, kind of fill it in with the kid. Every time he answered with one word, I just fill in the rest of the of the question I asked. I had to answer with him with the rest of what Oscar had said. That that was tough. Yeah, he he was he was literally the one word answer type of guy, and, and it was. Oh my God! Yeah, because and you know what's so funny is that I worked with him for his first three fights, and uh-huh. and you know he he he's been to he he's been to our house you know he, you know he he's in a different light when he's comfortable and and not like you know knowing that he doesn't have to answer 
he was right. cool. I mean, we talked a lot. You know, we would talk, a, you know, a little bit. He would open up and, you know. You're not the guy he, to introduce know, to them. You're not the, you're, Ernie, tell me not the guy to introduce them to Hot Pockets. No. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, I, I saw recent pictures of him, and, and let's just say he, 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 he's done with the sport. He, he's totally done with the sport. There's no way he's, he could ever come back, even if he wanted to. Just to, I mean, unless he's fighting, you know, Chris Ariola anytime soon, he's not. Yeah, you know, he's, he's so. In, in other words, he could be a spokesman for Hot Pockets. That's what you're saying. He, he, he could be a spokesperson. <laughs> he could he could be a for big and sexy man. But you know, the, 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 now carry extra extra large clothing. He's a big, oh, big, big, big. Do you know? Guy. Do you know the Hot Pocket story, Ernie? So it might be a no, little. No, you're going to come. Inside boxing for 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 those listening. Uh, this is when he went up, I think, was it to the summit, Dave? Yes, it was they the summit. The, yeah, it was the summit. He to the mm-hmm. summit, and he had a certain amount of money a week, you know, to yeah. eat. And so they mm-hmm. were like, we have a chef here. Give him your money. You know, or you, or you go to the store and buy what you want him to, to make you and, right. and bring back, you know. He came back grocery with money. all he the had grocery pockets. money. Yeah. He, he came he back grocery with money. Like a hundred bucks well, a week or whatever they gave him. Like he came back with like all the different varieties of hot pockets. That was that that's was awesome. what I was. Well, I have a story like that with Austin Trout. When <laughs> when Austin Trout was just coming up, and, and we 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 had gotten him to come spar because you know Tony was fighting Paul Williams. So it was him, Keenan Collins, Rodney Jones, and Andy Coley. I I, I took him in my in my uh, expedition. Picked him up from the hotel. We took, you know, we took, I took him to the mall. I said, okay, so you guys got your, your money for the week. Where do you want to go? Want to go to the mall. Austin, you know, was like, okay, we'll go to the mall. He didn't spend any money there. Everybody, you know, bought something, you know, they, they you know, they, they, they floss the money that they got because at the time, Tony was paying really well. So I asked Austin, I said, Austin, did you want to go anywhere? He goes, yeah, I want to go to the supermarket. I was like, okay, cool. They're going to pick up, you know, Gatorade, shit like that. So right. the other guys are picking up all this junk and, and stuff they don't need and stuff that's just bad for camp. Austin, two loaves of bread, two packets of ham, and mustard. I mean, maybe, I don't know, nine bucks total. So these uh-huh. other guys are, are checking out, and it's like 40, 50, 60 bucks, you know, for groceries. You know, they buy all this stuff that they want to snack on. And I told Austin, I said, Austin, um, that's all you want? He goes, that's all I need. Oh, he goes, oh, shit, let me get some water. And that was it. And, and I said, <laughs> you, you, got, you got two bucks to spend? He goes, nah. I got this much to spend, and the rest I'm pocketing. And and, and I, at that point, I became an Austin Trout fan. And to this day, I, I love him. To death. I mean, he, he got really close. Right. He he just made the most of his opportunity, sparring with Tony. Uh, um, we became great friends. You know, everybody's still. I mean, Sergio Diaz is still. You know, very to speaks very fond of Austin, and and it just the mentality he had going into that camp was, I'm here to do my work. I, I'm only going to get what I need, and I'm going to save the rest. And I was like, damn, that's dope. And all these other guys, they were kind of flossing, you know, kind of, you know, right. you know, living it up, kind of drunk with their paydays. And, and, and here he is just doing business. And I, from that day forward, I had nothing but respect for Austin. That's a that's champion a mentality, story. too. Yeah, that's that was going to say. Yeah. 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 You know? My my toughest interview was um, this is like when we really, when this when we started, like, leaving the ring, right? And uh, Hector Camacho Sr., who, Red, you guys remember Red? Machine Gun Red? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So Red Red knew his uh, brother in law really good, and they they turned on they turned leaving the ring uh, to Hector. And this is like when internet like podcasting was just still really brand new, and and Hector kind of you know he liked it, he loved it. So he would just after we interviewed him, he continued to listen to the show every week, and he would call in, and in, and he was the toughest interview because he would call in under the influence, and and he couldn't, he, bro, he couldn't get, yeah, he, it just for some reason when you would explain to him that Manny Pacquiao was Filipino, he still keep referring Manny as a Korean guy. He was like, yeah, Mayweather, Mayweather needs to fight that Korean guy. You know, Mayweather needs to fight. I mean, it was just the greatest thing. And then he got pulled over while he was on the show by the cops. <laughs> Toughest interview ever, man. Toughest. That's awesome. That's fucking awesome. Oh, my God. That's, that's dope. God rest his soul. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. I know, man. Addiction sucks. Addiction really does, really does suck, man. Yeah. Ernie, well, brother, it was great having you on, man. We got to do it again. It was um, yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, just let me know. You know. Hit me up, and, and I'm glad that uh, that uh, you know, I think time is is is, is kind of healed a lot of things, and you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, in the end, I, I think all three of us are are, are, are good friends, and great friends. You know, it depends on you know how much we keep in contact with each other, but. Absolutely. You know, we've been we've been through the wars together. We've been through the wars separately, and I'm glad that all three of us have made it out. You know, fairly unscathed, and and with a lot of lot more wisdom under us. And you know, you know, like I said, you know, back in the day, you know, I've always, I, you know, I've always done it with passion. Sometimes my passion's always, you know, has been misdirected. Right. And I think now I'm at a point in my life where where I know what I I know where 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 the limits are, and I take it though. And, and and I come back when I when I'm starting to feel like I'm out of focus or 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 uh, you know I've lost my way a little bit. I, I always refer back to the days where where I I got you know well, to be honest I got a little big headed and, and a little arrogant with my shit. And, and, yeah, all, and all three of us. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I pull it back. You know, and I, I love pulling it yeah. back and, and 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 getting back to the grassroots and and going you know because you know i got to remember with my job it's not necessarily the big fighters anybody can you know working with a canelo is easy you know because he sells himself you know working with bud crawford and leo santa cruz and jojo diaz next week and and so on and so forth it's easy because they sell themselves but it's these kids that that you know are going in the gyms and 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 you know they're paying their seventy dollars a month or eighty dollars a month to be in the gym, and they don't have you know a proper pair of gloves to to keep on. Those are the guys I work for, you know, and those are the dreams that I want to uh, I want to make sure happen, you know. And if they don't ever make it, it's okay. At least they gave right. it a shot. And you know, one of the things that one of the the best story, and I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. You know, one of the best boxing stories I've had with Everlast is a kid by the name of Uriel Villanueva. A pretty decent amateur. I mean, he still fights now, but you know, he first approached me. He goes, "Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a struggling kid. You know, I, I would love some gloves." That's a common story that I get a lot. And right. I said, I, "The thing I told him was, okay, so what do your grades look like?" And he went, "Huh?" And I said, "Well, show me your grades and, and let's go from there." So I, I sent mm-hmm. him some some items. You know, just some training gear, and he showed me his grades. He he was cheapest, but he showed me his grades. He had some C pluses, a D, and I said, "Okay, before I give you anything." I don't want to ever see a C or, or a D again. And he goes, are you serious? I said, yeah. I said, you want to keep working with me? That's what you need. And next report card, sure enough, B's. 
I said, okay, I don't want to see, I want to see more A's and B's now. Sure enough, wow, more A's and awesome. B's. And, and, was, yeah. and, and he didn't have aspirations of going to college. He wanted to be a pro. Now he's going to go to college. Now he's, he's, he's got, he understands, he, he's, gonna, he's trying to be a police officer. And, and, and to me, that's one of the biggest success stories I'll ever take to the grave with me is, is right. him. You know, we talk every day. He just texted me right now because he needed some stuff because he's going to get back into the amateur program. But he, we text all the time. You know, if I don't hear from him for a couple months, I'll reach back to him and see how he is. And to me, I, I, that's one story I'll, I'll always tell. I mean, I can tell everybody, you know, the Canelo stories, the JoJo stories, how I had Leo Santa Cruz in my, in my living room before his pro debut and things like that. And they'll be great stories, and I'll be more than happy to share them with you guys. But it's one of those. Yeah. It's, I gotta, I gotta always remember where I came from and, and what, right, and what I, who I work for, and I, I work for those guys. You, you know, I mean, hmm. you know, here, here's the thing: is that I'll see people, and and I, not recently, but I've seen people take jabs at you, going like, "Oh, it's not that hard." I mean, come on, seriously, what you do? But but, dude, I look at what you do, and I go. The, the many personalities, the many personalities you have to work with, dude, how, how do you do it? I mean, how do you stay focused and go, I'm going to keep moving forward? Because I work with several personalities in my business. And I got to tell you, dude, once a week, I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to do this anymore. So what keeps I, you going? <laughs> I owe the sport, honestly and truly. I owe the sport. I mean, I was given, I was gifted this opportunity to work with a brand that believes in what I do. Uh, and it's one of those things that I'm forever grateful to Everlast, but I'm also forever grateful to the sport of boxing to, to, for me to be able to work in it and, and, right. uh, you know, get paid for it. But, you know, all these people that, that come to me, they're coming to me for a reason. They're not necessarily, I mean, some of them are just product tools. I get it. You know, you can usually tell, I mean, in the, t- in the 10 years that I've been with this, you know, I can tell someone who's you know, money grabbing or someone who's, gear grabbing or someone who just wants to get the most out of it. But I have to also tell people who genuinely, one, like the glove, two, like what we're doing, and three, want to work together. And, and I got to remember that they're coming to me for a reason. There are, there are some people that I do go after. You know, there are some people that, you know, we're, we're hopefully going to sign soon and that we can make some big announcements for. But, you know, if you're coming to me, you're coming to me for a reason. And I should be um, grateful that they are. Because the moment that it stops, then then I have no reason right. to work, and, and Everlast has no re- reason to retain me. You know, but and, you're not even dealing with you know, the, just the fighter, though, right? I mean, you're dealing with yeah. the fighter with multiple personalities that are coming with the fighter. Yeah, I get promoters, I get managers. If I start working with with a certain fighter, next thing you know, I hear from their manager or their promoter, um, their 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 product sponsors. The product sponsors always make me laugh the most because. You know, they'll come in and, and I'll have a working relationship with the fighter. And then all of a sudden they hire someone to enhance their brand, which is fine. I mean, I get it. Right. You know, yeah. Sponsors are how they get paid. I get that. And they come to me and, and it's always funny when they come to me, you know, and, and, and they don't know that we have an established relationship. So they'll start selling me. And I say, you know, I text him all the time, don't you? Oh, okay, <laughs> great. I just wanted to make sure that connection. I said, oh, yeah, we're fine. And I, at first, I, you know, I get like, does this guy not know that we work together? But once they understand right. it or they don't genuinely know, then I back off a little bit. So, yeah, we work. You know, if, if he wants me to go through you, have him text me and say, oh, from now on, I'm going to go through him. And, and if they do, they, it's cool. If not, they go, hey, man, shit, no, I, I text you whenever I need something. So it's cool. So, okay, cool. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know some of these guys, they, they mean well, 
but but you know, and I know that in their end, they get paid by what they you know what they can get out of certain fighters. So I get it, and I, I don't really try to shit on it. I don't try to shit on anybody's house. See, you're lucky though. You know, See, you're you're lucky because you have something that they want. Where like myself or like with Gabriel, I mean, I'm pretty sure you went through this too, Ernie. But you still you had the Everlast behind you. Where I was mm-hmm. talking to a particular fighter when nobody even took notice, and I would put them yep. on leaving the ring, and they would call me all the time. Hey, I want to get on uh, Timothy Bradley, and then eventually <laughs> they got a publicist. <laughs> It got a publicist, and then I would text him, hey, bro, can you come on? Oh, you got to go to this person. Like, what? Are you kidding yeah, me? Nah, like, nah. oh, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think game and money does change perspective. And, and, and you know, and, and I get it all the time. You know, when when I see a guy uh, I've worked with, you know, eight, nine, ten fights into the career, and they start to grow, you know, sometimes they change. Sometimes things change. Sometimes the dynamics change as to what they want from us, and, you know, you got to roll with the punches. You got to understand, you know, that, you know, they want to go out there and explore and see what they, you know, what they can get out of it. And, and if they can get a little bit more out of us and, and we're willing to, we're more than happy to, you know, you know, I always say, you know, when, when I get a prospective new person to, to, to work with, I always say, what do you want out of us and what can we get out of you? And, and if, if it matches what, what I have envisioned, cause I know just about every fighter out there, you know, I reached out to someone, you know, right. that, that they were surprised I didn't I even knew who they were. But I, I know I try to know every fighter that I can, good, bad, and different. Even guys who are never in our club, I still try to know as much as I can about them because I want to know what what makes a fighter tick, you know, and, and, and I want to know, you know, what works and what doesn't work. So I, I try to know everybody I can. And, and, and you know, in the end, if, if it's a mesh and they like what we have, we, fought, we have four different pairs of gloves. We're going to, de- we're going to debut a fifth pair of gloves. Uh, so we have five different models, and if you can't fit into the five models comfortably, then you know what? We aren't the best. Everlast isn't the best for you, you know, and you should go venture somewhere else. And I have no problems with that. Some of the some of the best friends I have, Ishe Smith, he doesn't wear my glove anymore, but I love him to death. And 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 no matter what, I got his back. Austin Trout, right. he's gone from us, and and I still consider him a dear friend. But dude, Jack. I, I he would do if you ever get him on the show. Ask him. And he goes. I used to ask every day. When you go switch to Everlast, when you switch, and he goes. He finally tells me, dude. I'm, you know, don't take it personal. You and I are real cool. And and, right. and we still are. And, and when I saw him for April seventh, I heard uh, Laura fight. He gave me the biggest hug. You know, and and and, and it's not necessary. I, I'm sure I would love everybody in my club, but I also love the relationships that I've developed because of what I do. And 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 I do owe this sport. I do owe boxing. I do owe the people in it. I, I don't get into the ring, you know, I, I, I train, you know, cause you know, I, I like to be right. able to talk about what I hit, you know, what they hit with, but I owe the sport and I owe them and I, I owe the promoters. I owe the managers. I owe every person that, that has given their best to the sport something. And, and, and if I lose that perspective, then I'll walk off or relax. And then, you know, and, but I haven't. And if anything, 10 years in, I'm still just as strong with that belief as I, I did when I started, you know, and, and and it, it hopefully you know the brand sees it and I think they do you know I, I think we went from out here in the West Coast we went from a winning Reyes Vincente Salazar perspective which is winning is the training gear that that most pros prefer Reyes was the glove that most West Coast people prefer and Vincente Salazar was the outfit guy that that people preferred and we changed a lot of perspectives out here I mean did a lot of hustling you know did a lot of free product you know placements but in the end. 
you know, I always told Everlast, I want to build not just the Canelos of the world, but I want to build the seeds. You know, I want to build the Leo Santa Cruz, a guy came from, uh, I've worked with him since before his pro debut. Jojo Diaz, who's fighting for a title next week. I worked with him right. since the amateurs. Frankie Gomez, the same thing. You know, I want to be able to build a foundation that when I walk away from Everlast, and if I ever walk away from the sport, that we're set for the next 10, 15 years. We don't have to worry about it because we have a bottle in place that builds foundation and then we can go after the big guys, or we we can build big guys, you know. And then, you know, it's happening. I, I think in the ten years now, I I started started the, the the maturations of guys like JoJo, guys like Leo, guys like Bud Crawford. Fifth fight, you know, five fights. You know, he was five fights into his career when I started when I took over his account, you know. And and now he's one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. Mikey Garcia, same thing. You know, he, he it's funny with Mikey. He never asked for anything custom and. His last fight was the first time he has asked for custom colored gloves, and I was shocked. You know, I, I always tell Pizza the same thing. I said, "You sure he wants just white gloves?" He goes, "Yeah, he doesn't want anything else." But okay, so <laughs> I, I went to Robert, Robert's uh, renewal of his vows with his wife Carla, and I told Mikey, "I said, why?" He goes, "I don't need that." And he goes, "You know, it was you know when 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 I thought about it, he goes, yeah, okay, I want some custom colored gloves, man." So and he goes, "I was shocked." He goes, "Yeah, me too." I just said, "Yeah, okay." But, you know, it's it's these guys coming up and, and you know, It's growing, a tough business. You know? I mean, you know, what, what you do it is, is. is like, it, it is, you know, I mean, I, when a lot of folks, I come across with a lot of people. I mean, I took my layoff. Gabriel's took in his layoff. You took your layoff. We've, we've all kind of stepped back from media. You know, you continue yeah. on and never last. And even with the young guys that I see are coming up in podcasting, because a lot of people don't even know this, but, I mean, that's why I said the OGs, or we're, it's a it's kind of family reunion with the OGs of podcasting. We've been doing this yeah. for a long time, but a lot yeah. of folks don't understand is that sometimes this what we do is a lot tougher of what you're listening to because being on this side of the mic, we have to critique certain fighters. It's not necessarily yeah. because we don't like them; it's because this is what you're asking us to do i mean there's fighters that actually have took it personal gabriel right i mean we all three of us have been at that end where they've took it personal what we said and made it into like a personal vendetta saying oh you just don't like me because we reported something or we said something and not not even knowingly knowing that i'm a fan of you i'm actually i watch you i i i root for you but you did something i had to report it yeah I mean, you you have to you have to call what you see. Sometimes you have to call yeah. it like you see it. And if you don't call it like you see it, you're not doing the sport justice. You're not doing the fans who listen to your yeah. show every week justice. Yeah, I mean, you I mean, know? that's the one thing that I see that podcasters and even like the YouTube guys nowadays are doing wrong is you're becoming the fanboys. It's like the fanboy media. You're going yeah. that route, man, and and you're not being subjective to everything you're not balancing it out you know we got like maybe like yeah. another like five more minutes here Ernie. i mean we could go on all night man i think it was a great yeah. this is actually by far one of the fun the best and fun uh, uh shows that I, we've done in a long time bro and i, I want to thank you for coming like, on man oh man it's my pleasure like i said it, I, i'm glad we were able to kind of uh i don't know if it healed old wounds or or if it just maybe brought an enlightenment to to just how cool and friendly and close we all three of us are you know but i'm down for it you know i i like i said i'm i'm 50 years old i just turned 50 last year i, I don't have much beef in me left man and then what, whatever beef i had it's in mexico now so you know I, 
I don't have the time nor the stamina to to to, to take right. on these young twelve rounds now. And you know, if I'm not going for the quick KO, I'm out of it. You know, and so you know, I I, I like uh, this was uh, actually this was very therapeutic for me too. So I'm I'm glad I got to go get, get on and That's catch great, up. Great man. That's great, That's awesome, brother. Dude. Yeah, no, it's all good. You know, it's uh, it's been too long, man. You know, you saw me, you know, come up. Uh, it's like almost like the day I arrived on the boxing scene in in uh, at that. We didn't see each other at that fight, but in Los Angeles when I moved down there and uh, saw yeah. me move to that position at Max Boxing and beyond. And yeah, Lord knows I've had my my ego troubles. Uh, you know, it's, everybody's got their crosses to bear. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's great, man. It's been. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I remember when you got the TNR gig, and I, I you know, I, I don't think you could find a bigger fan of of you getting that gig than me. You know, I, you know, me personally, I, I would have loved to have had it, but I couldn't have thought of a better person or a more rightful person to replace Dougie than you. I mean, you were a great compliment to Steve when that, that show was going. It was, it was, it was as smooth a transition as you could hope for when Dougie left. You know, and and yeah. to see. You know, to see you grow and, and to see you become kind of the focal point of a lot of, of information, you know, it, it 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 it's a testament to what you've done. You know, and and, and it's you know, and going back to Dave, Dave's done this radio show for way before I even ventured to think about doing a radio show. And you know, you know, I don't think any any also any three of us are, are asking for maybe recognition or anything. I'm not asking for. That. I don't give a shit. You know, if you right. don't like me, fuck you. I don't like you too. Exactly. Bitch. Uh, yeah, you know, but I, I I think the best thing that I can say about today's media, today's podcast, today's you know boxing shows or whatever they want to call it, you know, is is just to remember. Eventually, you do owe the sport something, you know, and and you do owe, you know, you do have to, you know, you know, you have to pay, you know, you have to pay with with sweat, with effort, with, you know, I remember when we used to do the boxing lab, we'd literally have to get off the show and start texting each other, okay, so who are we getting for next week? We're going to do this. We'll do that. <laughs> right, right. You know, it, it, don't stop. It, it never stops. It, it, it never that stops. Was never that, that, uh, you couldn't have said it pr- more perfectly. Uh, that's exactly how I felt. Like, you know, I, most people don't realize, like, you know, internet boxing does not pay very well. Uh, so no, all those trips to Vegas, it, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm paying, you know, uh, right. They're just getting me the press credentials. So when people talk about, oh, you're just, you know, you're, you know, you're just there for the access. Some people are, but at least certainly yeah. the way I wanted to treat it was that I was going to do my role, which I, I think the reporters are kind of the guardians of the sport in, in a sense, uh, even more so yeah. than the, the commissions in, in we, a way because those guys it, are beholden financially here, to things. Here's the difference yeah. though. Out of us three, out of you know, out of you know us compared to the media now, we actually treat it. It like a job, whereas others are treating it like a party. I don't even hmm. treat it like a job, honestly. I treat it as my passion. You know, it it, it is my passion. Boxing well, no, no, no I'm, I'm saying though, what we you know about the credentials and all that. We we were oh, professional. Like professional. Yeah, we were yeah, professional about doing it. Honestly, you know, honestly, I was a partying ass motherfucker though. <laughs> <laughs> But there was always a time and a place for everything. I'll say that. Exactly. And when it came time to, to to suck it up and be a professional, goddamn right, we I was a professional. Yeah, yeah, we did it. Yeah. Well, I see guys yeah, go I, off I, the I, handle on Twitter, though. You know what I mean? Where they start bashing yeah. the fighters on Twitter. They start going at the guys and on Twitter. And I'm like, wow, man. 
Like, really, you're oh, going to call this fighter a bum? You're going to call him all this stuff? It's like, wow, like, what social happened? Platforms, social platforms made everybody brave because they don't have to deal with the fighter directly, yeah. you know? Exactly. It, it, it made everything easy because access is easy now. Now I just have to go on Twitter and talk shit about the Charlo brothers or, or whatever, you know, or Austin Trout or whoever. Now right. I don't ever have to face them. You know, and, 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 and social media platforms have brought a lot of baby out of, out of people, and, and, and not just in boxing, but in everything. Oh, and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and everything. And everything. Uh, I knew when I was done with media, uh, we were, I was covering the Chavez, uh, Brian Vera first fight out here in L.A., and I was done. You know, I, I just, you know, I was, I was done. I was, I started really doing um, Everlast, and it started becoming successful with it. And I went to press row for that at Floor Access, you know, and, and I, I, I brought a beer down. And I was drinking my beer in press row, and, and my, my counterpart, Lewis, who, who was, you know, working by my side, he looked at me like, what the fuck? He goes, do you want to go interview? I said, no. And he goes, what do you want to do? I don't want to do nothing but drink this fucking beer. And he goes, <laughs> right? and he goes Okay. And then at that point, I knew that was the last fight I ever covered was, was, was Chavez Vera. I said, that's it. I, I, so the, I think that very next week, I, I told Rick, I'm done. I can't do this no more. And, and that was it. You know, and, and I knew that my focus would right. be on, on Everlast and, and trying to make, you know, this sport, you know, a positive light, you know, and, and move it, pay it for it. You know, because, you know, sometimes, you know, the sport desperately needs people to pay it for it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's crazy that you're bringing this up because I was telling Gabriel just the other night, I said, what we need to bring up is what was the breaking point for all each, you know, for all of us here on the panel um, where we said, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to do media anymore. You know, and then you're bringing me. it up right now. Yeah. I couldn't do it no more. I just, I really had nothing left in me. And, and we still did the, the boxing show, you know, we still did the boxing lab and, and it was, that was fun. But as far as covering, as far as all these people, as far as crowding, you know, and people who didn't fucking bathe, you know, right next to me who try to get fucking, you know, try to cop my interviews and shit like that. Started, you know, the media, because the media presence started to change a little bit. It became a little bit more cutthroat. It became a little bit more uh, rude. You know, right. there was a gentleman's agreement sometimes, you know. Oh, even, absolutely. Even with, even with rivals, because, like, at the time that I was doing it, Boxing Talk was a rival of ours. You know, Fight News was a rival of ours. And we would sit and we would sit in those lines and, and get our perspective interviews. We wouldn't necessarily be a dick to each other, but we knew we were rivals. You know, I'm, I'm like right. Darren Nichols, you know, and, and I, we, we actually talked a lot. You know, we, we were rivals at the end, but, you know, we, we understood that we both had a job to do. So, I yeah. mean, now everybody's kind of, fuck you, I'm doing my thing. You know, it, it's a me generation, you know, or it's a me, it's a me type of perspective now that they have. And, and it's unfortunate because, you get a lot of good collaborations when you work together. You know, you get a lot of, uh, you get different perspectives when you work together. When you, Absolutely. When you work apart, you, you, you yep. get yourself into too much of a tunnel. Exactly. Well, hopefully the, uh, the younger media guys are out there. They understand that. They will. They'll get to our point here. Um, lots of young ones. Yeah, Exactly. All right, brother. Well, we only got one minute here, man. We're going to let you go. Again, we got to do this again. And I want to thank you for coming on um, to introduce, uh, to introduce the new segment that we, we, that we want to introduce to the listeners, which is the uh, Boxing Buzz, which is just shoot the shit. There's no agenda. There's no plat- – you know, we don't have anything. We're just talking boxing. We're talking old memories. 
that's pretty much yeah, it. Yeah, no problem. Any anytime, and if you ever want to talk gloves or 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 you know what I actually do within the sport, I'm more than happy to too. We got to get you back on again soon, brother. All right, man. All thank right. you again. Take care, you guys. All, All right, man. Brother. Peace. Ernesto right. Gavillon, marketing executive for Everlast here. If you missed it, like I said, this wasn't wasn't really an interview. It was just a segment we wanted to bring. We thought that this would be really fun for our listeners, which is uh, the boxing buzz. It's just a couple guys hanging out, just talking boxing, not trying to show any weight or anything. It was a pri- uh, it was a surprise uh, interview that came on, which was uh, Roberto uh, uh, Diaz from Golden Boy, the chief matchmaker. That was. But um, that wasn't even in the plan. That wasn't even in the uh, the uh, uh, in the format that we, we were trying to you know come across here on leaving the ring. Uh, you know, close it really quick with this. Hey, first off, congratulations to uh, Gabriel Montoya's wife who just got a, a new job. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's mm. yeah. She got a congratulations, yeah. bro. Yeah, no, thank you. you. Know. That's great. And uh, I'm going to close it with this. You know, a, a lot of times on Leaving Ring, when we started, we wanted to bring something that was fresh and new and something that we that I felt at the time was missing, which was direct news. Um, the sport of boxing wasn't covered the way it should be covered. And um, <clears throat> now I'm at a point, I've been doing this for a little bit, 10 years maybe, maybe, you know, give or take, a little over, maybe a little less. I'm not really sure. Now we're just at a point is that, we just want to get on the air. You want to talk boxing with us? You absolutely you can. You can call in 347-295 on Thursdays. I think we're switching the day, though, because I, I think my, my partner here is going to be switching off. Um, and, and with, with you know, he's, he's busy with his job, what he does for a living, his passion. This is our passion. So I don't want nobody to forget this. This is our passion. We're not trying to get anywhere. I'm not trying to end up on TV. I'm not trying to end up on somebody's radio i'm not trying to be better than anybody i'm not trying to be number one all i've ever wanted to do from day one when i started leaving the ring was talk box boxing that's it plain and simple open a couple of brewskis relax talk the fights shoot the shit interview some fighters have some fans tune in etc 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 we've been blessed that our network has been one of the biggest ones uh, throughout the internet boxing world and uh, I want to thank everybody that's contribute, everybody that's been part of the movement. I don't even know if you want to call it a movement, but part of what we've done, um, from the old guys to the new guys to the guys that are still with us to the guys that have left, it's been nothing but love. Like Ernie said, you know, once we all figure out that we can work together, we can bring better content. Once we can figure out that there's no competition, we can bring better content. We all fuck up here and there. We're all going to stumble over our words and stumble over our interviews and stuff, you know, but... The thing is to learn how to laugh at ourselves is what we have to learn how to do. Can't, we don't always have to be right. I don't want to be right. I don't think I'm always right. I'm, that's why they call me 97. 97% I'm right. 3% I'm wrong. I'm your host, Dave Duenas. This is my partner, Mr. Gabion. I mean, Mr. Gabion. Gabriel Montoya. Uh, I, just did, I just did the stumble 3%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the new nickname, The Shield. Gabriel, The Shield Montoya. <laughs> You know. Anyways, brother. As always, man. Uh, enjoy the weekend, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Don't drink and drive because you will spill your beer. I hope you guys enjoyed this segment. Until next week, Mister Montoya. We'll shoot the shit again. All right then. Peace. <laughs>